Great, okay. Grab your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Today we are in the final furlong, just three weeks left, of um, looking at the book of Hebrews. Today, this chapter, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, this, this chapter is this kind of like who's who uh, of the people, particularly in the Old Testament, the men and women who were just particularly extraordinary in their lives in terms of what they did. So you, if you had time to, we haven't got time to read this whole chapter, but if you looked at it, you'll see it talks about people like Noah, who built an ark. But how did he do it? He did it by faith. We read about Abraham and Sarah, who when they were just getting ready to settle down for the nice life, you know, and move into the nice part of Canterbury with a big house and retire, God said, yeah, get up and you're on your move. You've got to go. And they said they lived by faith in tents. They were getting ready for their retirement plot, but actually it was a a movement into a simpler life for them, leaving their home by faith. Moses stood up to a crazy demon-possessed dictator called Pharaoh, by faith. This is a, a whole amazing chapter all about, what's the, what's the word that I've been saying a lot? Faith. By faith. In fact, if you, he goes on, the writer goes on and on and on saying, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, I don't even know what that means, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war. <sighs> Breath. It goes on and on like this. And it's an amazing chapter. I love it. It's a real kind of, you know, fridge magnet type of chapter. It'd be a long, big fridge magnet if it was there, but it would cover your whole fridge, basically, but... It's an amazing chapter, isn't it? It's an amazing chapter. And when I read it, I am genuinely inspired. But I also, when I read it, there's a little quieter voice when I read these kind of chapters. At the back of my head's going on. It's not just that I'm inspired. I'm actually also slightly intimidated. I read this and I think, this is amazing. But honestly, it terrifies me. It terrifies me. If this is what the life of faith is, I'm, I'm drawn to it and I'm simultaneously absolutely terrified of it. And I have to ask myself a question, well, why? why? And I was asking myself that question, why do I feel like that when I read these kind of chapters? And I suddenly realized the reason is, is that I can get absolutely overwhelmed with the stories and all the specifics of what these people did And I miss the point that right at the beginning of the chapter it makes that the key, the secret to having a life like this is ultimately not by focusing on the people at all, but on the God throughout this chapter. The God who's in them, the God who's beside them, the God who's behind them, the God who's before them. And that's what it says in verse 1. It says this, it defines the secret So that they could live these lives. How did they live these lives? It says this, the faith, it's the key, faith. Okay, what is it then, Tom? It is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for. That's a future aspect, as Raymond Brown, the scholar, points out. It's a future aspect, the assurance of things hoped for. But secondarily, it is also the conviction or confidence of things not seen. Now, this is my my point today. 
If you want to simplify this, that word assurance and conviction, it's true to say it's really about a confidence. It's having confidence in the God in the future, things hoped for, but also about a confidence in a God right now in the present in the things that we can't see. It's about confidence in him, not in me and you. But this is the challenge that we're going to see today as we look at this. For so many of us, the reason we find this challenging is because actually, functionally, in our lives, our actual confidence is in yourself. And you might not even think that. And maybe, you, maybe it's not. Maybe you're really super holy. But. And that's why when we read it, often we feel, we don't just feel inspired, we actually feel intimidated because deep down we're reading it again. Do you know what? I feel like this is telling me I just need to try hard. That's why today is called better than, or bigger rather than your best efforts. Because ultimately, chapter 11 is not ultimately about them at all. It's about a God who used incredibly ordinary people, ultimately, to do extraordinary things. And it's all to do with understanding the central idea of faith. What is faith? Faith is ultimately about confidence in God then, in that life to come. And it's about confidence in God now. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Lord, we just love you. We love it that you're here and that you want to generate in us and, and stimulate greater faith. I pray for our hearts this morning that you would speak to us and change us. And where there's fear, where there's apathy, where there's lethargy, you would put faith into our hearts afresh. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. So faith then has a future aspect. It's about being totally confident in God in the world to come. That first part, the assurance of things hoped for. But secondarily, it is also about the conviction or confidence of things not seen in the present. Do you see that? That's the simplest way of understanding what is faith. It's about confidence in God now and in God then. And I actually want to start with that second aspect the uh, conviction of things not seen first, the present tense aspect of faith. How do we become a little bit like these men and women who in their lives, whether it was dramatic or whether it was domestic, had lives that actually were filled with faith more than anything else? How do we do it? Number one, you have to understand the present tense element of faith. That faith starts with a deep conviction of things not seen. Now, did you see that? It's about a conviction, it's about confidence in what? Things you can't see. Ooh, things you can't, I should do that more often. It has a more dramatic effect. <laughs> Did you hear me? It's about confidence in things that you can't see. Now think about this. This struck me. You see, most of our lives, we are quite confident, some of us, most of us, but it tends to be in things that you can see. Yeah? So, for example, you can talk to someone, and uh, maybe, maybe they're a church leader. It's the kind of realm I'm often in. And, that, you know, their church is kind of flying, and it's just exploding in every way. Not literally, but, you know, it's doing well. And they can be, I just feel so full of faith. And I thought to myself, well, actually, we can actually have faith in what is seen. But it might not actually be that real faith. Because what this is saying is, you see, when your life is great and there's loads of visible fruit and everything's great, maybe you feel in control of your life right now and really happy and you've got a lovely husband and blah, 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 everything's great. And you can see all this lovely stuff and you're looking at that thinking, I feel pretty good as a Christian right now. My faith is kind of up here. 
Well, actually, sometimes we can confuse adrenaline (laughs) with faith. Because what it's saying is, is that actually faith only starts to really be seen as real when God starts to do this. And the things that you're used to looking at, walking by sight, whatever that might be. We'll look at some examples in a minute. Those things that you tend to look at, when they start to disappear, suddenly the reality of whether you have real faith is tested or not. Does that make sense? So the Bible talks about pruning, right? It talks about fruitfulness and pruning. You know the illustration is an agricultural one, a horticultural one. You chop off stuff. And the poor little plant looks absolutely rubbish. There's nothing impressive. It's like lopped off. And the Bible says God loves to do this in great kindness. Now, when you're pruned, or for example, it talks about a seed going under the ground and dying. When you're going through those seasons in your life, where the things that your business suddenly starts to go under, your health starts to take a nosedive, your spouse suddenly isn't the person you married, suddenly your confidence and your ability to control things, (coughs) suddenly you, you feel pruned. And what happens is, faith, this is faith, the first aspect, is a deep conviction that despite the things I can see being rubbish, the God who I cannot see and the ways that he works are absolutely, totally still on course. That's what faith is. It's learning to increasingly go, well, I have these things called eyeballs, but actually that's not actually how I live my life. That makes sense. It's actually totally counterintuitive. And, and I, am, I am just a baby beginner at this because I, I love to live my life. I love to live my life actually putting my, my confidence, my conviction in, in so many places that ultimately still come under that banner of self. Things I can see. So it might be, I don't know, we're all different in this room, aren't we? So it might be your ability to plan. Some of you, that's not mine, <laughs> believe me. But for some of you, I'm just thinking, what would it, your ability to plan or to control or to win. Just to win. I went to a very, very competitive boys' school, which we had six-day-a-week school. But when I was 18, we had seven-day-a-week school, believe it or not. Now, that puts something into you that you're going to be a winner, son. You're going to be like, and you have to spend the rest of your life detoxing. Now, that's my own path. But it, what it does is it means that there's this, my actual conviction is not in things unseen. My natural conviction is, is in my ability to somehow always win and succeed and subtly be number one. And that's why I can be so competitive, pathetic. I can see everything through that lens. You see, we put our confidence and our conviction is actually in things seen. And so faith, faith, listen, you might be going through a really tough season in your life. And actually, the wonderful truth is, when you look at these people, on the, you see, we look at them and go, Noah built an ark, wow. Yeah, wait, stop. What that looked like for the years it took to build would have been probably challenging conversations with Mrs. Noah at night, shall we say, where all the money's going. All of his friends thinking he's gone bonkers as he's actually building this big, great wooden boat in a desert. Just think about it, that's just one he, he had to learn to live. I can't, everything around me is going, is, I feel so pruned, no would have felt. I feel so vulnerable. I feel like all the things I'm used to feeling powerful and successful in are being taken away. All my money's going into this boat. <laughs> what I can see with my eyes is people thinking I'm an idiot and lots of sun. I'm not seeing lots of rain. 
But it says here about Noah, it says verse 7, yet in reverent fear, he constructed an ark. In reverent fear. Listen, for Noah, although those people around him and the blazing sun were things that his physical eyes were saying, this is real, this is real. He was on his journey, like us, of learning, actually, oh, I'm learning to do this and to go, but you've said, and Lord, you're even more real than these mockers. You're real than these people who I'm tempted to feel ashamed in front of. And you're more real than this endless summer when you've said that the rain's meant to be coming. Do you understand? Faith, faith, listen, for so many of you, listen, you feel so fragile right now. You've crawled into church. You feel like, oh, I feel so unimpressive. Do you understand? So often it's in those places where he is teaching us no longer to live by sight. It is the deep, faith is the deep conviction of things unseen. Mainly that God, who you cannot physically see, is real. That's why it says in verse um, 6, About faith, it says you must believe that God exists. Faith is actually believing that God exists. Isn't that a profound thing to say? That we can genuinely spend our lives not necessarily believing he actually exists. It's an amazing, amazing thing. You see, for me, I know that I'm going into living by sight mode, or I'm... I know that I'm actually more deeply convicted of things seen, I'm relying on those things, when when they start to get taken away, rather than calmly still trusting that God is at work despite the mess. This is what it looks like for me. Number one, I panic. I tend to panic. Because the things I I tend to live by, they're they're suddenly not happening anymore. And I'll tend to panic. Number two, I'll tend to try and control. I'll try and, well, may, that's, maybe if I just do this, it will try and control it. Or number three, I can be prone to exaggerate. If I feel like an area of my life is not going well, rather than just being honest about it, I'll tend to, I can be prone to exaggerate. Oh, it's not that bad. Or, fourthly, I'll just work even harder. I'll work even harder. I'm not saying work is bad. What I'm saying is, what happens is, rather than going, Lord, you're teaching me to live by faith, a a deep conviction of things I cannot see, that you are real and that you're working despite all of this stuff. What happens is, if I'm living by sight, I do those kind of things. But this is the amazing thing. So how therefore, Tom, do we actually become a people who learn to live in faith as defined in this way? How can we be those that grow in a deep conviction of things unseen, i.e. that God is actually real and he's at work? This is the amazing thing. Is If you think about all these men and women, what's the main difference between us and them? The main difference is that they all lived before Jesus Christ even stepped foot on this planet. Why is that relevant? What it means is, is that they were learning to trust this God who is at work despite the things that I look at normally, they're not, they're not going well, or they're not even there. They learned to trust him, even though they had never seen Jesus Christ that we now have seen. 
So what I'm saying is, when in our lives, the things that we normally look to to make us feel great and feel good, when they start to disappear, what we just simply ultimately need to do is be a people who go, well, I can't see. So you might have relationships right now that are are just not great with your family or with your neighbors or with your work colleagues. And you go, if I'm using my sight at the moment, then if, I, if that's all I'm doing, then I'm, I'm going to feel very depressed. Actually, what I learn to do is I learn to look at the one that has now been revealed. You see, they, before Jesus came, they had some idea of who God was. But now, as Christians living in the 21st century, we can now gaze upon the one, page after page after page, intricate detail about the one who is the same now as he was then. So when we think about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, what it means is in your lives, when things are starting to go, and, and just, you, I can't, uh, rather than looking at those things more and more, Jesus cries out to him, he says, look at me, look at my life. Look at the fact that when I walked on planet earth, I was always merciful, I was always kind, I was always actually brilliant. Do you know that? Jesus was the most intelligent man who ever lived. Do you realize that? He wasn't just like a nice carpenter to do. He was a genius. He was the most brilliant man. He never did anything wrong. And he's the same God, the same man who's in control of your life now. He's not physically with you, but he is by the Spirit. So when your life is, it feels like it's, ah, like it was for these guys, actually, faith says, but I still believe you're the same God. I still, and, and I'm realizing, I've seen in my life in the last few weeks, this strange thing happened to me. I have had so many things that I wanted to go one way, go another way. You know those times? It's just like, oh, there it is again, another thing. And my instinct when I live by sight is to try and fight hard, work harder, make a way to solve it. And I've suddenly had this, it's like a literal injection of a different emotion. It's like an injection of faith. That Wait a minute, Tom, wait a minute. What about actually if despite all of this mess... It's actually meant to be like that. Despite all the pain I'm feeling, maybe the genius carpenter, God, Jesus, is, he hasn't forgotten you or got sidetracked with sustaining Jupiter. Maybe he's actually perfectly, perfectly in control of your life. And rather than Faith being faith to change everything, often faith is about actually watching and waiting. Faith often is saying, Lord, what am I doing about all these things that are messy and a nightmare and I can't control, I want to control. Sometimes it's saying, I'm going to pray for them to change. But then in the same breath, I'm saying, but ultimately, Lord, I'm watching and I'm waiting and I'm trusting. That's what I'm learning. It doesn't mean that we get passive. It's incredibly active, but it's all in here. It's in here. It's an internal belief that I'm con- I am growingly convicted of things unseen. I can't always see what's happening in the hearts of me or in the hearts of other people, despite the mess. I can just look with my eyes and go, well, I don't want it to be like that. I want to change it. But actually, God's saying, Tom, you don't understand what I'm doing inside hearts and your heart. And I'm growing in saying, but wait a minute. That's it. As Christians, we don't live like the rest of the world, which lives by sight. We live with a different set of eyeballs, the eyes of our hearts. Does that make sense? And so we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are always in control. Always. And I can always ask you for you to change stuff, but the way he told us to pray was actually, Lord, let your will be done. 
Let your will be done. And so my, my trusting in your sovereignty and your kingship, that Lord, despite this pain, my life hasn't spiraled out of control, but actually you're perfectly in control. Do you see what I'm saying? We can look at these passages and think they're all shiny. That's called hindsight. When they were in those moments, Noah and, and Moses and Abraham and Sarah, they weren't shiny moments. They would have felt messy. They would have felt like, actually, if I look with sight right now, this is all going wrong. But faith, faith is a deep, growing, God-given gift of confidence and conviction in things unseen. And suddenly life, life changes from this fight between me and God and how I want things to increasingly just, Lord, I mean, I'm just beginning to learn this, please, you understand that, but an increasing surrender to say, Lord, even even in the smallest details, I believe that you are always in control. That's faith. That's faith. I believe that, Lord Jesus, if you were the most brilliant, kind, wonderful person on planet Earth, you're still that person. You're not trying to punish me. I look at the cross and I think, Jesus was punished, so I'll never be punished. I'm never being punished. I am being disciplined at times, but that's a world away from punishment. I look at the death of Jesus and it fills me with confidence. I think, I, can, I can't see what's going on here. Everything's spiraling out of control. But I look at this and I see the death of Jesus and I'm convinced that you are good and I'm not, being dis- I'm not being punished and I'm not in trouble with you. That Lord Jesus, you love me as you love your son Jesus. I look at his resurrection and I suddenly think, wait a minute. In an instant, if God could raise a dead body, he can change the situation. He may not change it, but he can. And so faith is his growing conviction of things unseen in God and his work. Now what I'm pr- desperately wanting you to see is, your life is not an accident. God is in control. He really, really is. And and he wants us to be a people who are spiritually so rich in a deep conviction in our souls that, do you know what? Whatever's happening, this this is the only way you can ever rest in your life, is if this truth is in your heart. Rest is an act of faith. If you don't have faith in this way, you will never rest. Do you know, I learned this recently, the Jewish day started at sundown. I'd never thought about this. I love the genius of God. Think about that. You, sundown, seven o'clock, whatever, you're exhausted, you're sweaty, you've had your day. You feel as least productive and weak as you're ever going to feel, right? You just want to watch a bit of EastEnders and go to bed, whatever. And that is the moment in the Jewish calendar that God starts his new day. Think about that. You see, in our terms, in our days, we think of the day starting in the morning when I start work. I start work and then the day starts. But actually, in the Jewish calendar, the day started at sundown, which meant the first thing you did when God started his day was you go to bed. You go to bed. And so you wake up and then you're groggy, you make your coffee, your donkey juice, whatever it might be, and then you have your shower and you get going And by that point, God's been at work for 12 hours already. Every single day in the Jewish calendar, you're waking up and simply catching up with what God's already been doing for 12 hours. He's been making the earthworms go through the the earth. He's been sustaining the universe. He's been on the other planet doing other things. And so the whole Jewish mindset was like, I wake up and, oh, God's been busy for 12 hours. All my role ever is, is finding out what God's doing and trying to join in and not muck it up too much. Oh, I'm back to sleep a bit, or I go. Do you understand how magnificent that is? 
And, and, and that's the way God hardwired it, so that we would understand that rest itself can only occur if we are a people who go, it's always God's at work. He's always at work. He's always doing things. Even now as you're sitting here, he's at work in your soul. Tonight, he's going to be at work. When you're asleep, he's going to be at work. And what it means is you live by faith. All the energy is from him. All the pressure to see anyone come to know Jesus is on him. All the pressure is on him. Hallelujah. Suddenly things change. So faith is this conviction of things that you cannot see. It's living more and more in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of the UK. But finally, and I want to finish with this, the first aspect is equally stunning. What also is faith? Well, it's also, if, it's, if faith is the conviction of things not seen, i.e. this almost looking at life in the present a bit more intensely, where is God at work? This first aspect of faith is actually, in a sense, looking even more intensely at the world to come. It's actually more and more taking your eyes off the here and now and spending your life becoming more and more confident in things hoped for. So often in the Bible, when we see the word hope, that's to do with the world to come. So often. It's about the fact that as Christians, we believe this world is a good place and it's great in many ways, but that ultimately, actually, that this is in a sense... A prelude to something far more mind-blowing when Christ returns and makes all things new. And that's why it says about Abraham in verse um, 10, it says about him, a man of faith, he was looking forward to the city. Do you see that? He was a man who was looking forward. This aspect of faith is all about a growing confidence, a growing assurance of the world to come, of Jesus Christ and him who will make all things new. And if you think about the context for these Jewish Christians, they were tempted to go back. They were tempted to go back to their old life. And that's the same temptation for all of us. Do you know that? Right now, it's the same, it's the same temptation for every Christian, is to subtly go back into actually functionally living the way we did before we started to follow Christ. Faith says, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. I need to grow, and God wants me to grow in a deep assurance of things hoped for. A deep assurance of Christ and the world to come. Now, again, when I think about this, just ask yourself this question. Is, what if, if I asked your friend, your best friend, does that mark her out? A, you know, if she's most confident in her life, is it actually her, is her biggest confidence about the moment that her heart stops beating and her lungs stop working? Her biggest confidence, the one that really is going to be on her gravestone, the one that she always talks about, the thing that really is driving her, her greatest assurance is about things hoped for. Do you know, that, that would not be said of me. I tend to be really assured Confident, probably in more things like, I don't know, my ability to make things happen. I mentioned earlier that ability to plan for some of you. For some of you, you're, you're that person in your family who always makes things everything okay. You're that kind of peacemaker thing. And your real confidence is in that. Or it might be your real assurance is in your kids and the, the, the emotions that they make you feel. Or in your work, 
My actual biggest assurance is in my looks. That's not me. That might be you. My actual assurance is in my ability to work things out. My, ability, my biggest assurance is actually in my ability to make people laugh. My biggest assurance is in the sheer number of friends I have and the, the acceptance I get. My biggest assurance is in being a brilliant mum or dad or in my career. Do you see, when you honestly ask, is the biggest, your biggest confidence, the thing that really marks you out, is it an assurance of things to come? Is it that like it just oozes out, I'm so confident, I'm so ready for that day? Because that's what he's saying. Faith is the assurance, it's the confidence, it's the certainty of what? Of who you are and what you can do. No, no, no. It's a deep assurance of things to come. Now, I have to say, I don't think generally the UK Western church, this is what marks us out. I might be very wrong. I, I, I just don't think it is. And I think the reason is the same reason again with the first thing. You see, the, th- the thing is, when, when the life that you're living is comfortable, it is the easiest thing to live by sight. And actually, this world and all the things, the, the things that are coming up this week, the big important things that are important, but they become so important. The idea of looking beyond them to the next world. <laughs> You're joking, Tom. You're just an idealist. Well, maybe I am. Or maybe actually God desperately wants us to learn what faith actually is, which is faith is ultimately not in anything in yourself, but it's a faith about the world to come. You see, my fear about my life is, is that I, you know, has anyone done those things called Strength Finder? Strength Finder, you know, Myers-Briggs, yeah, personality tests. There we go. Personality tests, I did one called Strength Finder recently. There's 50 50 strengths that are... um, 50 strengths that you can have, and it's really helpful. And you might, might not be surprised to know my main strength, according to this little test, was being an activator, which means I kind of get things going. And I'm like, yes, I could see that, and it has lots of weaknesses to it. But as I was thinking about this, when we live in a world which says, focus on your strengths, develop those strengths, although that can kind of work in the sense of you will probably be successful, do you know what it does? It means all your energy is is actually focused not only just on yourself generally, but on a growing assurance in my ability to activate. Do you see? It's not about the fact that my level of assurance about the world to come is pitiful. It's tiny. When I hear about things of death on, on 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 the news, I'm not thinking, like Paul who says, I desire to depart this world. He actually said those words. I actually desire it. I want to depart. When I hear about death, it freaks me out. It freaks me out. And what's that telling me? It's telling me my assurance reservoir is very low. My assurance reservoir in terms of being an activator and being strong is quite high. But my assurance, my assurance of things hoped for, it is tiny. I, I realize that it's, it's, it's such a small aspect of my life. And yet the, the, the irony is, if you turn over the page, look with me at verse 14. It's not rocket science in terms of how we grow in being a people whose faith in the world to come 
gross. It's not rocket science at all. That's the, the great news of today. Look, verse 14, it says, for people who speak thus. First of all, is what we speak about. It's describing the people of faith. They spoke about it. We speak about it. We speak regularly, deliberately, consciously with our children before they go to bed at night, with our wives, with our loved ones about the world to come. I felt so convicted about this. When I pray for Daisy and Lily and Poppy, I hardly ever describe life beyond this life. My prayers for them are so focused on, thank you for the good day we've had, and we thank you that you live in our hearts, and thank you, Jesus, you've forgiven us. And that's good. But I'm not building an assurance in their hearts for things hoped for. Jesus, I'm actually reinforcing that ultimately this world is, all, is, is everything, which is, is, is so often how we can live. I have to build a culture where we speak about it. It then says in verse 15, it says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out. This was, for then they'd physically moved from one place to the other. But the parallel is huge. They were, they, they weren't, the implication of verse 15 is they weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about a, a better homeland, a better place. Think about this. What you speak about and what you think about, ultimately you end up desiring. That's why it says in the next slide, they desired a better place. What you speak about and what you think about ultimately is what you desire. I was just in our uh, bathroom recently and I just saw this. I saw a Bible next to the bath and on top of the Bible was a, 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 a magazine, uh, Country Living. Country Living. That's a great magazine. You know, it's fascinating. And I was looking at it and it just struck me and I felt God say, you have there literally a physical demonstration of the battle that wages war in our lives between you read page after page and I'm not against nice houses all right just so you know I love houses I like design my, my family are all artists and creators I love that stuff and it's not wrong but it's when the, it's like this magazine represents this this voice which says focus everything on this life versus this bible underneath it with no pictures there's no pictures not a single one it's all writing and it's almost like it just spoke to me of like this, this battle that wages in our lives. Do you see? The shiny of this world, this world, and actually the kind of quiet, overlooked path underneath it. It's funny, in our small group recently, we were discussing hope. And um, where we put our hope. And we can so easily put our hope in things not changing, or this person being perfect, or church being perfect, or our role being a certain way, whatever. Or our house extension, or whatever it might be. We were talking about these things, and being honest. And then suddenly we started talking about the fact that isn't it amazing that very soon we will die. We really will. Really, really will. Or Jesus will return. And in that instant, with great tenderness, but great fatherly reality, just being with him, we will instantly be aware when we look at our life of the things we gave our energy and our thoughts to. The things we spoke about, the things we thought about. And as we started to talk about it, the room just kind of got quiet. And it wasn't like a condemning, it's wrong to think about extensions or things like this. It's not that it's wrong, but it's, it's just the priority. What we speak about, what we think about, we desire. And I tell you this, it's good for us to be humbled 
and to realize, like in the book of Revelation, Revelation 3, John, who wrote the book, he says to this church, he says, you really think you're rich. (laughs) You really do. I love you, but you're so deluded. He said, you really think you're rich, but actually you're so poor. He says, it's like you think you're dressed in these fine, right? I am. am." But actually you're like in rags, spiritually. If we spend our lives with our strength finder mentality, our, this is my strength, this is what I'm going to give to you. Listen, this is what will happen. This is what will happen. Your assurance of those strengths in your life will grow, probably. And you may have a successful life in a worldly way. But my deep fear is is that when we get to the end of our life, in terms of what he's defining as gold, which is what? Assurance in those things? No, no, it's assurance. It's a deep, robust, immovable confidence in what? In our strengths? In the things that we can see and touch? No, a deep assurance above all else in things hoped for. Wow. That's wealth. That's wealth. And right now, listen to me, in this world, right now, the difference between us Christians and myself included this, who are probably spiritually really, really not that impressive, and men and women across the world who are way beyond us in many ways, that that is becoming more and more clear. It just is. I think... um, I think we can often think we're just doomed to be like this. But the reality is, God is so kind. He will use anything and everything to help us to increasingly not grow in an assurance of the things we want to grow in, those strengths. He is incredibly determined to grow your faith in the things to come. I am recently, just this week, um, watched a video made by the Egyptian Christian community um, talking about their friends who had, a month ago, the 21 men who had been beheaded for their faith. And this video is unbelievable. First thing is, all these, these, these people who are interviewed are smiling and are full of joy. And they're saying, you have to understand that the Egyptian church is, this is the air we breathe. Martyrdom is our foundation. And it's not something that we're ashamed of or we even want to change. It is something that ultimately leads to an incredible view of the life we have here. And they told, they said that, um, if you've, I, I haven't seen the video that was online of the guys, but they're led out, 21 of them, on this beach, and they are all given a chance to recant of their faith. And one by one, you see man after man praising Jesus as they're then beheaded. Praising him. Why? Because their assurance of things hoped for is off the scale. And what is so amazing is, is that once this happened, the... Um, the Egyptian church that was doing this interview said, we released the names to honor these men because we knew them. But there was only 20 men. There was only 20 Christians from our church, from the churches around the area. And what had happened was 
was that these guys were illiterate migrant workers who had just gone into Libya just to try to eke out a living. And they had a simple faith. Their assurance of their confidence in their gifts would have been very small, but they had a massive assurance of the reality of God and the hope beyond the grave. And these illiterate, simple men had been captured by ISIS. But actually, the 21st guy, or one of the 21 guys, was not a Christian. He was just with them. And you, you can see it actually on the video. Apparently, it gets to him, and he is so blown away by the incredible courage and assurance in their hearts, the dignity that they display as they face their death, that he literally says, their God is my God. And he was beheaded and he gave his life to Christ for a few seconds before he gave his life. And the reality is, is that 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 picture of illiterate migrant workers who have nothing But their assurance of things hopeful, that's faith, isn't it? That's faith. That's faith. It's not even something they're working up. It's a gift of God to them. It's his grace. They're just ordinary men, but they are recipients of a grace gift from God, which means they can do that. And what's the incredible thing about this video is, is that the people interviewing it are smiling, saying, praise God. And there was a teenage girl who days after this, she was in the Egyptian community, she she, she knew about this and she burst into the room of one of the guys being interviewed and said, isn't this amazing? And he's like, what do you mean? He said, isn't it amazing that this proves all that the Bible says is true? That God will sustain you, even in those moments. We can't prepare for moments like that. You can't preach a, a Bible thing to say, do this to get ready. It's the grace of God. It's his gift of faith in the moment that means you can be assured of things hoped for, which means you can actually look someone in the eye and say, I don't want to die. But actually, I really want to go to that place where I'm going to be with Jesus face to face. And she actually was excited. A teenage girl. She said, because it proves that God is real. It proves that he can sustain you even in those moments. I just feel so humbled when I look at this. And I don't want to, I don't want to die in that way. But we will all die. But what this says is this mighty book comes to its crescendo is this. In light of everything that the writers said, when Christ is bigger, when he's really big in your soul, even death, although at one level so horrible and scary, no longer is what it seems. Which means you can be someone who can be rich in assurance of things hopeful. Even if your assurance and your confidence in many ways is at rock bottom in your life. God's deep passion is that we would be a church. We would be a site. We would be a people whose assurance in things hoped for is actually the gold that he grows in our hearts. Should we stand to our feet? If you're anything like me, the more you go into the Bible, the more you go deeper, the more you feel this strange mix of just such oh, such love for Jesus, but also such awareness that you're just a child. If you want to join me, and you don't have to do this, you really don't. There'll be no shame if you don't want to do this. 
But I would love us if you just feel like you just want to, I don't know, somehow respond and say, basically, Lord, I want to just grow in that faith. And that's going to mean, as you do that, he will, the only way we can grow in living by faith of not seeing stuff is by taking away the things that you like to look at, which make you feel good. So it's a scary prayer. And in fact, if you're not a Christian here today, it's the starting place into the faith. It's how you start by saying, I can't understand how God can become a man. I can't even, I still 17 years later don't get that. I can't, if I live by my, my, my brain only, I can't understand that. But if you today say, Lord, I want to do this. I want to today take one more step along the Jesus path of following you, which means walking by faith for the now. Deep confidence. If you might even be here and you think, Lord, I've stopped believing that you are in control. Maybe that's you as well. Or maybe you're just thinking, I just know my, my whole life is so wrapped up in this world and I feel so poor when it comes to an assurance of that world. If you want to join me, I'm just going to kneel just for a moment. And if you're able uh, and you're wanting, just you can join me. And I'm then I'm just going to pray for us. Okay, I just feel like I want to do that just to show a sign of humility before God <laughs> that I want to grow in him. <sighs> I'm just going to give 30 seconds for you just to pray in your heart to your Jesus who loves you so much and he, he's so for you but he wants to grow the right stuff in you. If there's anything you just want to give to him that's just been a just been too big in your heart, just give it quickly to him. Just whisper it to him in your heart, straight away. Jesus, we, we thank you that you humble us. You, you humble us, Lord, so kindly, so we're not puffed up or deluded. You do it out of such kindness. You're so for us. You're so gentle, but so firm. Lord, I know I feel so, at times, so distracted by the things of this world. I just ask that you will do a divine work in our souls. You will do a divine work of changing us, Lord, so that we would be people who are like your son, who though he loved this world, his deepest affection was for you. Lord, we, we are so excited about the world to come, about the new heavens, the new earth, making all things right. Oh. And we wanna, I want to pray for faith in our hearts this morning the gift of faith in our hearts that you would indeed, you would build a deep conviction for the present tense. A deep, for some of you right now, this is massive, massive. You have not believed that he is in control. And I, I, God so sympathizes because it's been rough. 
It has been rough. But you just even now, and you can tell them that. You say, God, I'm flipping cheesed off with how things have been. But I do trust you. I do trust you. And I pray, God, build a conviction of things not seen. A deep conviction that you are at work. Build that faith in us, which means we are more robust. We're not tossed to and fro, fro like the, on the waves. And I pray also, Lord, build a faith in us, an assurance of things hoped for. Lord, let us not be like Gollum with our precious. Lord, take our fingers off the things of this world that are good gifts, but they're not God. I pray, God, please, Lord, just give us a, a heart that, that is committed to thinking about and speaking about the things of the next world, of who you are. Lord, let us not be just like the rest of this world that is so bothered about this world. Lord, we, we want to love this world, not be controlled by it. We want to serve it and, and, and love the people around us, not be ultimately thinking just the same way. God, change us. Jesus changes. We love you. We thank you that although we pray and although we act, you are always the one that is changing us. It's all about your grace, your grace, your grace, your beautiful grace at work in us. And I just pray, God, just change our families, change our kids. Lord, give them a perspective of faith, deep faith. Not just a kind of a hoping, um, a vague faith is about a vague hoping of things to get better. No, no, a deep biblical faith. That you're at work now and you are preparing a stunning eternity for us. Change our affections, Lord.